Good morning, Reach Church. All right, if kids want to head to Reach Kids, they can head out. All right, so today we are continuing our series, Kingdom Strength, by looking at uh, the life of David, soon to be uh, King David. We haven't quite got there yet, um, but we're looking at the, the strengths that are embodied by, by faith in, in God and ultimately faith in Christ, and the, the characteristics that are true of David, and by being true of David are then a reflection of, of the things that are true of the ultimate Davidic king, Jesus Christ. Now, last week we looked at uh, David's relationship with Jonathan, and we saw that Jonathan was this symbol of the, the believer who submits to, uh, to Jesus as king, to David as king, and therefore Jesus as king behind him. And we saw him give up his throne, we saw him take off his royal robes and, and submit to David as the one true king that, as he understood that God had chosen this one to be king, uh, he willingly submitted to him. Now today we're looking at kind of the, the, the opposite, the foil of Jonathan, the antithesis of Jonathan, King Saul. This is one who is, uh, he's witness to all the same things. He's witness to the reality of who this King David is and the, the glory of his rule and the, the beauty of his love for Christ, or for his love for, for God and his reflection of Christ, and yet he totally rejects all of it. He rejects all of it, and he sets himself up as an enemy to David, as an enemy to his kingdom, as in, in competition with the one that God has chosen. Now, the focus then isn't going to be on Saul exactly. It's going to be fun. The focus is going to be on, all right, how does King David respond to this enemy who is nonetheless an authority over him? How does he how does he trust in God? How does he express that trust? And we're going to see how uh, King David, he does, he does three things. He is, he is rejected first. We see the rejection of him as king. But then he, we see this remarkable submission. Submission to the Lord and ultimately submission to, to Saul, amazingly. And the ascension to the throne that, that results from that. So he is rejected. He submits to that rejection. He submits to the authority of Saul, and then he ascends on high to become the, the great king of Israel. And we're going to see that the, all of that is a reflection of Jesus Christ. All of that is a reflection of the, the walk that Jesus takes. So with that in mind, uh, let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us understand these things. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we get such a, a tangible picture of him in King David. Father, we thank you that we do not stand on our own merit. We don't stand on our own works. We don't stand according to our obedience to the law, but we stand in the righteousness and obedience and perfection of Jesus. And Father, I ask that today we might see a little, a little more of Jesus' perfection for us. And Father, that we might be willing to submit to whatever your hand may have for us, trusting that we have a king who was rejected and who has ascended to the throne and is, is ruler over all. Father, fill us with your spirit. Give us eyes to see these things and hearts to, to love them, that we may worship Jesus well and better because we 
we have heard from your word. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first we're going to see the rejection of the king. The rejection of the king that Saul receives this King David and utterly rejects any claim that he would have to the throne. Now, last week, uh, we, saw, we saw Jonathan as this symbol of the believer, and Saul is the, the symbol of the unbeliever who, who encounters Jesus Christ and utterly rejects him. Now, just a little bit of background, so we're all, we're all on the same page. So, who is, who is King Saul? Uh, king Saul is the first king of Israel. Now, how did that all come about? Uh, Israel had always said that, that God was their king. But they'd gone tired of that relationship, and they looked out and saw all these other nations that had kings, and they were tangible, and they were, they were present. And so they cry out to God, and they say, you know what, God, we, we want a king. We want a king that we can see. We, have a, we want a king like the other nations. And God says, well, fine, you can, you can pick a king for yourself. And they look around, and they find, oddly enough, they find the tallest person they can find. Because uh, he seems like he's, yeah, that's probably the best way to pick it. Uh, he, he looks impressive. And they pick Saul. They choose him as their next and as their first ever king of Israel. And as God's blessing upon Saul, Saul is anointed. Now, that anointing has two parts. First, uh, he's, oil is poured all over him, so he gets all oily, um, anointing. And second, he's given the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, that he is set apart by God as the, as the king of Israel leading through the Lord. Now, unfortunately, not, not long after Saul is anointed, he totally rebels against the commandments of the Lord. And though he is called the anointed one still, that Holy Spirit is removed from him. He no longer has God's blessing. And in his place, God says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose a king this time. This time, I'm going to choose a king. You don't get to choose this king. I'm going to choose him. And he chooses the youngest son of Jesse, the, the eighth son of Jesse, this shepherd boy. And, and David is anointed, and the Holy Spirit moves from Saul to David. And he is filled with the Spirit and he is, he is passionately and joyfully worshiping the Lord and victorious in him. Now, we saw a, a couple weeks ago that, that story of David and Goliath. And this is, this is David on display. This is David being tested. Okay, what kind of king is he going to be? And he, he blows it out of the water. He proves himself to be a king that is committed to God's glory and, and loves the Lord and trusts in his salvation and leads the whole nation of Israel uh, in victory against the Philistines. Now, Jonathan sees that, and he, he falls in love, and he says, this is, this is the one true king. I can't, I can't stand and possibly have a claim to the throne when, when David is here. Now, Saul, King Saul, sees that exact same thing. He sees this, this spirit-filled leader, this one who, who loves the Lord and loves the glory of God, and instead of receiving him and submitting to him, he completely rejects him. And first he responds, he responds with jealousy. First Samuel 18, 7. Now this, 
it wasn't helpful for Saul that the ladies all came up with this little limerick to sing about, a little insult to Saul. But uh, they start singing this, and they start singing, Saul is struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. But yeah, Saul, Saul's all right, but David's a lot better. In verse 8, Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? All right, this is real whiny, but, uh, but this is the heart of, of everyone has this choice. That they, they see the glory of Jesus, they see the king, they see the one that God has appointed, and either they set themselves up as those who are competing with this king or those who are submitting to this king. And Saul has chosen competition. He has chosen rejection of this one that, that is clearly filled with the Spirit. He's a threat to the kingdom and the glory and the rule of Saul. Now, because of that, he, he takes it further. He isn't just jealous. That, that jealousy turns into murderous rage. And Saul decides, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to murder this would-be king. And it's kind of, okay, uh, he starts out, he starts out, he just randomly would grab a spear and just try to pin David against the wall. All right, and, and he would do this, he did this like five times. Uh, uh, David probably should have just left, but he didn't. Um, all right, and then that goes on, that goes on, and he, he plans to murder him in his, in the castle when he's alone with his, his spouse, actually King Saul's daughter, who had been given in marriage to him. And then Saul goes on and he, he travels through the, through the wilderness, through the caves of Israel, that David is fleeing for his life, and all that is on Saul's mind is killing and murdering this one who is a threat to his throne. Now behind that then, Behind that, we think, okay, maybe, maybe Saul just hates this threat to his kingdom. Maybe it's just that, how, how dare someone stand up against the king? Uh, but it's actually, it's, it's far more nefarious than that. It's not that innocent. And we explain it further, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made a commander of thousands. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that his, he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. All right, what's, what's so devastating about this? The thing that's so devastating here is that why does Saul hate David? It's not just because David is, is a threat to his rule. It's because he, he knows that David is anointed by the Lord. He knows, that the, he knows that the Lord is behind David and supporting David. And he knows that he, he, he doesn't stand as the true king according to God anymore. Now, that, that's just, it's this devastating reality, but he actually hates David because he's chosen by the Lord. This is not just rebellion against uh, against a potential king. It's a rebellion against the Lord himself. (coughs) 
right, so what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? Now, we could say, okay, uh, this is someone who is, who is competitive and who is rebellious, and don't be competitive. Don't compete with others in the kingdom of God. Uh, be, be open to, to other people being better than you, and that's okay. All right, we're not going to say that. We're not going to say that because that's not what this story is about. This story is about Jesus and the relationship that you have with the true king that is chosen by God. And Saul is a picture of an unbeliever who is relating to the one true king. And so when we see David, we see Jesus. And when we see Saul, we see the heart and mind and soul of the unbeliever. And we saw these exact same realities with Jesus. All right. Who set themselves up as the enemies of Jesus? All right, the first one I think of is King Herod. King Herod, who, who heard from the Magi that a king was born in Israel. And what did King Herod do? He kills every kid under two. Or we think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are rulers in the, the religious authority. And why do they hate Jesus? Because he's a threat to their rule, he's a threat to their authority, he's a threat to their kingdom that they've established. Actually, then, just like, just like Saul, they know that Jesus is God. And that's why Jesus always calls them out. He, calls them, he says they're hypocrites because their actions don't make any sense. It's, it's not that they think he's a blasphemer. They, the, the fact is that they know he isn't, but they don't want to give up their rule. We think of Satan himself. Why does he hate Jesus? Because he has a kingdom of darkness and he is ruling and he's fighting this one who would steal the, the throne of the world away from him. All right. What does that mean for us then? So as we gather all these things together, okay, okay so, so there's this relationship between, between the one who would submit and the, the one true king all right, that's where we need to look into our hearts and ask, okay, do I have the heart of Saul? Do I have the heart of Saul? When I see Jesus, do I see a, a threat to my kingdom and my authority and my glory? Do I see this one who, who is working against the kingdom that I'm trying to establish, the life that I'm trying to live? And the reality is, if he is king of everything and king of all, there really only are two positions here. Either, either you are establishing your own kingdom and, and fighting with Jesus Christ, or you are submitting to this king and you are taking second place to the, to the first place one who is Jesus Christ. Those are the only two positions. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, am I against the kingdom and... Do I have a heart that, that can hate Jesus and despise him, that can have this murderous anger? Now, most of you are probably like, no, I, I don't think I want to kill Jesus. I recognize that. Uh, but, but if we're honest with our hearts, there, there's, there's, there's stuff in there that says, you know, like, some of, some of you don't believe in Jesus Christ. And it's not first because you... You don't believe in, in who he is. It's, it's because you don't want a king. 
And you don't want to share your kingdom. You don't want to share your glory. You don't want to share authority. You want to live the life that you live. And I have that in my heart as well. We all have that in our hearts. And so what do we do? The doubts and the, the misgivings about Jesus allow us to live in our kingdom once again. It's a way of, of murdering Jesus in our hearts. Or maybe it's more subtle. Maybe we just like to forget about Jesus for a while so we can, we can run towards our kingdom for a little longer. Maybe we, we reject him by rejecting his law or rejecting his, his kingdom as a whole, those who speak in his name by rejecting his word. These are all ways that we can, we can rebel against the king. Now this, this final one, all right, some of us have rejected Jesus even though we know exactly who he is. That is, that is the, the great deception of our hearts. Is that it's not that we, we reject Jesus because we don't believe in him. We reject Jesus because we do believe in him. And we know that he is king. And we know that we have seen the, the resurrection. We have seen his miracles. We have seen his person. And we don't want him. And that's why we don't believe. That's why we don't follow. That's why we don't worship. Because we know what he would demand from us. I think if we're honest with our hearts, we all have. We all have some, some, some of Saul's heart inside of every single one of us. And that we struggle with the fact that there is a king that is not us. Now, that takes us to, that takes us then to, how does, how does, how does David, the one who, who loves God and worships him, and who has a, who's a man after God's own heart, how does he react to all this? How does he react to, to having this one who hates him, and wants to murder him, and despises him, and remarkably, he, he responds in submission, in submission to this king who is evil and who is treacherous. So what does this look like? He, he still hangs out in the throne room. He just ducks the spears that are thrown at him. He kind of slips and weaves and, and gets away every single time. He, he goes on these suicide missions joyfully. Saul thinks, that, okay, if, if I can't kill him, how about I get the Philistines to kill him? And he sends him out and says, you know, how about, how about you go, go kill 100 Philistines and come back and we'll, we'll have a great funeral for you. He comes back, having killed 200, and, and everyone's singing his praises. All right, he, he just submits, and he entrusts himself to the Lord. Now, as the ultimate act of submission, he spares Saul's life not once, but twice. That Saul stands there, a lame duck, just waiting to be, to be taken out, and David refuses to, to lay his hand against King Saul. So we're going to look at one of those cases. One of those cases. Uh, Saul is traveling through the land, pursuing David because he hates him and wants to murder him. And David is hiding out in the caves uh, outside of Jerusalem. 1 Samuel 24.3. And he, Saul, came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. All right. This is real life. These kind of things happen. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. 
All right, of all, of all coincidence, Saul happens to wander into the cave where all, David and all of his men are, are hiding out, and he goes to the bathroom. All right. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to the men, The Lord forbid me that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. He refuses to lay his hand against the Lord's anointed. Now then he goes and he speaks to Saul, holding that corner of his robe. And this is what he says, verse 9. Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of the robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Good old David speeches. All right, these are, this is good stuff. Uh, all right, so what is David saying here? He's, he's recognizing, you know what? No matter what it is, like this, this king, King Saul, is the Lord's anointed. That God let him become king. And that God set him up as king. And that he, David, is not going to be the one that, that asserts his rule over Israel. He's not going to be the one that takes, takes God's plan and rejects it. No, he is not judge. And he will, let, he will let God be judge. If God can put Saul in power, God can take it away. He's entrusting himself not to his ability to rule, not for his ability to take and to seize, but to, to the Lord's ability to, to work according to his plan. Now, over the, over the past year or so, I feel like submission to authority has come up again and again and again. Um, it's come up in the men's group multiple times recently. Uh, it's come up in, in Romans. It came up a lot. And we seem to be like totally oblivious about it and really struggling and not really sure what to do with it. And that's where I'm thankful for examples like this. All right, this is obedience to submission to authority that, that goes far beyond what we would ever imagine we'd be asked to do. This is the one, David, who is a man after God's own heart. And this is how he reacts to authority. 
Now, if this were us, uh, we'd see that authority and we'd instantly start to make excuses as to why we shouldn't have to submit, why we shouldn't have to give in, why, why this can't possibly be the plan of God. Now imagine, what are David's excuses here? All right, first, he could say, okay, well, I only need to submit if this guy is good, but he's clearly evil. All right, if anyone's evil, it's Saul. Saul, Saul is just filled with murderous rage for absolutely no reason. David is completely innocent. All he does is win battles for Saul and support him and do everything that he asks. Now, David could say, you know what, this is an evil king. I'm going to take him out because that, that would please the Lord. Well, he doesn't do that. Instead, he submits and he says, no, this is the Lord's anointed. I, I shall not put my hand against him. Now, he could, he could attack the foundation of his authority. And he could say, you know what, Saul, Saul isn't really the, the Lord's anointed. I'm the Lord's anointed. He's the one filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was taken from Saul and given to David. And he'd say, you know, I, I had oil poured on me. He had oil poured on him. I, I can take him out. Why not? But no, if anyone had authority to do it, it would be David. But David didn't have that authority. He didn't see himself as possessing that authority. He said, you know what? The Lord, the Lord put him in, there, in that role, and the Lord will take him out. Now, maybe he could give this excuse. He'd say, well, clearly, clearly God wants it to happen. He's making it so easy. Here he is, just sitting there, doing absolutely nothing. Like, and all the, all the guys around him, they see it that way. They're all saying, well, like, yeah, yeah, it seems like the Lord's given into your hand. Go, go kill him. Do whatever you want to him. But what is David saying? No, it's not, it's not what is easiest. It's not what is presented before him. that the reality stands, he is the Lord's anointed. Now, uh, the last, last excuse, the last excuse could be, well, Saul's not learning his lesson. Because remarkably, this is actually the first time David does this. He does this, this whole process again. Saul repents a little bit and he starts crying and he says, you know, sorry, David, I'll never do it again. And then, like three chapters later, he's doing it again. He's coming after David. He's ready to kill him. And this time, David, David goes into the is Israel's camp, and there is Saul asleep in his, in his tent. And so what does David do? This time, David gets, his, gets Saul's spear and the water jug next to him and gives the exact same speech. Now, David at that point could have been like, you know what, Saul, you haven't learned your lesson. I gave you your, your one chance. This time you're going to die. Clearly God wants me to do it. Even then, he doesn't do it. Even then. Now, is David silent in all of this? No. David does call Saul to, to repentance. He calls Saul to see his innocence. He presents himself and says, you know what? Like, I have done you no wrong. This is total injustice. We can do that. To, to, to stand under authority and call them to, to righteousness and justice, that is, that is fair. But it doesn't give us a, the, the authority to, to put our hand against them. And this doesn't mean, hey, Saul's trying to kill me. I should probably just go and, go and present my head on a platter. 
No, he doesn't do that either. But he refuses to, to rebel and destroy this one that God has anointed. Now that is a picture, that is a picture of Jesus. That is a picture of how Jesus relates to his enemies. That's how Jesus relates to, to those who reject him. Now think of, think of the ones that, that Jesus fights with and who are his enemies. Right, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now Jesus is incredibly honest with them. He, he, he calls out their hypocrisy. He calls out their false logic and that they're just trying to manipulate the situation because they don't want to submit to him. But in the end, he submits to their trials. He submits to their oppression. He submits to uh, all of these false claims. Or right, we think of Pontius Pilate. He submits to Pontius Pilate, even though the whole trial is a, is a farce. He submits to it. He submits to, to Satan and his scheming and his plan that, that we'll, just, we'll put this, this God-man to death and we'll be done with him. All right, he even submits, he submits to all of the sinners of Israel calling out, crucify him, crucify him. Let, let the murderer go. We want to see Jesus die. He submits to them. Even though he's the king of the universe. And he is the only one who is sinless and perfect and innocent. The only one who doesn't deserve to die. The only one who doesn't deserve to be rejected. Even though God has given him omnipotence to, to call down legions of angels and fight his battles. He didn't have to be on that cross. But because the authorities that God had put in place had called him to be there, for God's sake, he submitted to the cross. For God's sake, he submitted to the shame and to the abuse. He became sin. Because God had called him to to live under the authority that had been put upon him. Now, when I say that, all right, what do we do with that? First, I want us to see, like, the, the real call to submission is, is so far from what we think it is. And even think what, what should be fair and what is real. But the... These are pictures of real obedience, of real submission to authority, of, of receiving whatever it is that is from God's hand and trusting that God will be victorious, that God will save, that God will be judge. Now, I hope this is a picture of the gospel for you, that this, this causes each and every one of us to say, you know what, I did not have that kind of righteousness in my heart. I don't have that kind of righteousness in my soul. If this is one of the commandments, I have not kept that one. And Jesus has kept it. Thank God that we have Jesus to keep the commandments for us. Amen? Because I don't want to submit. And I, I rebel even against Jesus, the perfect king. And I try to shake loose from his authority. But here is, here is the, the perfect submission and the perfect trust and faith that Jesus Christ gives to us.
Now, what is the outcome of all this? What is the outcome of all this? What's the outcome for David? Or first, Saul is, is taken out of authority. He is, he is removed from the kingship. That there's this prophecy, and Samuel says, you know what, you are, you are going to die, and you are going to die because you are being judged by the Lord. That God doesn't want you to be king anymore, and God takes care of it. And Saul is killed in battle. He's, he's mortally wounded, and he falls on his sword, so he doesn't, he, he's in captive, uh, cap, captured by the Philistines. All right. God does judge, and God does put the right king in, in authority. He gives, by his grace, David the throne. And because David is this man after God's own heart, he doesn't just give him a, a throne for a few years. No, he, he says, you know what? You didn't build your kingdom, but I'm going to build your kingdom. You didn't put your hand out and, and claim it for yourself, and so I'm going to build this house, I'm going to build your kingdom, and I'm going to make it an everlasting kingdom that will never be shaken, that will never be broken. And because you care more about my glory than your glory, I'm going to give you more glory than anyone else has ever received. And you will be the one who, who starts the line of the kingdom that lasts forever. And that's where we see this reality that, all right, David could have just like started snatching and grabbing for whatever he could get in the kingdom. But instead he submits and he's this ascension. By God, he, is, he ascends him to the, to the greatest throne of all, a throne that he could never deserve. He just lavishes his grace upon David. All right, rejection, submission, and ascension. Those are the themes here. Now, what's the outcome for Jesus? What is the outcome for Jesus, this one who trusts, who trusts himself to the Lord, who trusts that, that God will be victorious, that God will be judged, that God will be righteous in the end? All right. He is rejected and he ascends to on high. And he's victorious over Rome. He's victorious over Rome. He's victorious over every nation that has ever been and will ever be. He's victorious over the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He totally decimates their interpretation of the law. He decimates their legalism and their hypocrisy. And he shows himself that he is the one true king. He crushes Satan's head. He cuts it off. He smashes it to the ground, and he declares himself to be the, the true ruler of heaven and earth, that this world belongs to God and not to Satan. And he is lifted up, and he's lifted up on high to be the king of all kings, the lord of all lords, to sit at the God's right hand and rule for all eternity. Because he submitted for, for a time, to the authorities that God put in place, that he's rejected and he ascends. Now, the last one that he conquers, he conquers each and every one of us. He conquers that the rebel, the rebel that each and every, each and every one of us was, that we were all Saul's. We were King Saul's who wanted our kingdom 
who hated Jesus and were warring against him, and Jesus Christ on the cross, he defeated us. And he proved that he is the one true king, and he called us to himself, and he said, no, I, I want you in my kingdom, and I will die and I'll resurrect so that you might be rejected and ascend on high. This is the Lord's anointed one. And as this final kind of like beautiful cherry on top, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And he says, you know what? I'm going to call you, you sinners, you who have no place in this kingdom, who should have been rejected, I'm going to call you now the Lord's anointed. That that is who you are. You are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are those who are kings and queens in the kingdom of God because you were willing to be rejected by the world, but because you, you embraced me and submitted to me, your Savior and your King. That we should have been rejected, but in Christ we have been raised on high and we have descended to glory. Right. That is our Savior, that is our King. And knowing that, we then say, okay, I think I then can, can submit to the authorities that you put in place. I think I can trust you, Jesus. I will trust you. I will follow in your footsteps because I know that you, you have a plan and you are ruling from your kingdom and you will, you will never reject me. That's the power to, to submit to authority knowing that it's, it's not about our kingdom, it's about glorifying Jesus Christ and him getting the glory in the final day. Amen? Any questions? Bethany. Um, yeah, I will, I will, I'll try to, try to repeat it. Um, Bethany feels bad for Saul. Um, why, yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> uh, because here's this guy who, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and as much as Saul rejected this king, um, God rejected him as king. That God rejected Saul, and, and it's, it's not the only time that we see that. Um, we see Pharaoh, and, and, and God is hardening his heart. And, and, and we have to ask, okay, like, what do we do with that? What does that say about the nature of God? What does that say about the nature of us? And that's where I want to draw us back to the fact that, all right, Jesus on the cross, he has to conquer each one of our hearts. That... As much as we say, yes, yes, I want to follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has to come first and anoint us and work and enable us to even want Jesus. 
And so that's where I would say that if you want Jesus at all, it's because Jesus wanted you first. And he's calling you to himself. And he has lovingly chosen you to be in his kingdom. And he has anointed you. And he's given you power to choose him. And that's what I'd say. If you, if you feel that desire, like, run after it. Run after Jesus. Choose Jesus as, you, as you're given the heart to believe. That is not given to all. And... Even that the chance to hear the gospel is a great gift. And I would call us to, to believe. Does that answer your question somewhat, Bethany? Does it, does it make God a jerk? Yeah, that's the reality. That's the reality of what we have to deal with. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. How, 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 do we have, how do we have assurance of salvation knowing that the Holy Spirit can depart from us? Um, I'd want to distinguish between the, the Holy Spirit's anointing of, of Saul as a king versus our anointing with the Holy Spirit as adopted sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. That there's, there's more working there. And that we aren't merely being called to a role as a king. We're being called to, to adoption, to being a, a people. And if God is pursuing us and God is changing our hearts and God is, is running after us, he makes good on those promises. And he fulfills those promises for us. Any other questions? I'm sure there's more there. but Let's pray. Father, we ask that we might see Jesus clearly and in all his beauty that even though we were enemies uh, in submitting to you, uh, we find ourselves submitting. That you took away our sin and our rebellion and you, you drew us to yourself. Father, we are shocked that we could have any place in your kingdom. We, we like David, are shocked that you would bring us into an eternal kingdom that we could never earn for ourselves. And so, Father, we ask that we would submit to the rule of Jesus for the joy of doing so, that we would love being second to Jesus in the kingdom of glory, that, that the choice of being kings in the kingdom of darkness uh, would hold nothing to, to standing in the kingdom of glory. Father, I ask that you would give us great faith to believe these things, that it's easier to say them than to do them, and we desperately need your Holy Spirit to empower us to, to really have faith and to put uh, the uncertainty of your plan above our own works and our own desires and our own kingdoms. So, Father, would you, would you show us Jesus as our great king, as the one who died for us, that we might uh, willingly and with full, full faith and trust and assurance um, submit to his will. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name for his glory.